Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our Bible should be uh, falling open to 1 Thessalonians. We've been here for a while. And our text this morning will be verses 19 to 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 19. Paul writes, as he is moved by the Holy Spirit, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let us go to prayer before we tackle our text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us that we might know you, that we might understand your precepts, we might understand your character, and we might understand how to be obedient and in right relationship with you. And so again, I pray this morning as we go through the word of God this morning that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that he would illuminate these truths and apply them to our hearts and that we might go out more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, more pleasing to you, and more in love with our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen. If we were to, as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, We've been, Paul has really been adding to the Thessalonians and to what is lacking in their faith. And we know that lacking in faith comes in two ways, and we've discussed those two ways. Number one, by a lack of knowledge, and number two, by a lack of obedience. And so Paul here is now laying out principles for Christian conduct for the Thessalonians beginning in verse 12. And he starts to lay out these principles of how they are to behave how they are to behave to the leadership, how they are to relate to one another, and how they are relate to relate to God in their relationship with him. And Paul has been laying out foundational principles for the sound spiritual life, for how we are to worship, as, as he begins in verse 16. And we saw that last week as he began. He began saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so he said, Here's, Here are things that you need to be doing. And we could really say these are, are things that come from our heart. These are our heart worship towards God. It's horizontal. It will ultimately play itself out vertically because it cannot help. Our our joy that we have in the Lord will ultimately demonstrate itself. We are to pray without ceasing. And again, we saw that that was not that you're praying on your knees all day, but rather that we are to be praying or in in a condition to be praying to him at all time, giving short accounts as we go through the day. And then we saw that we were to give thanks in everything. And it says everything. Right? And so the idea is we are to be grateful, understanding that God is working all things out for our good. Right? And we said it was in everything. So what we're saying is you don't say, Lord, I appreciate the pain, 
but we recognize that the pain itself it can be brought to us in order to make us more Christ-like, and for that we rejoice. And so in every circumstance we rejoice, though we may not rejoice in the circumstance that brings the pain, if that makes sense. In other words, you don't have to love pain, but you can recognize that in your pain, as you are Christ-like, you're, you're pleasing to him, and that brings you joy and gratitude. Now, as we go on, Paul is going to continue on and to give us some more foundational principles. And, it, and I would say this, as he comes to these three principles that he's going to lay down for us, we see that the church has really, in, to some degree, completely abandoned these principles. He's going to call us to be, to be filled with the Spirit. He's going to call us to be receptive to the Word. And he's call, going to call, call us to be discerning. Now, which is strange, in, in a day and age where the charismatic movement has put so much emphasis on the Spirit, you can hardly say, Pastor, we've abandoned the Holy Spirit. How can you say that? Because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the power of life for the believer, and the, and the Holy Spirit acts and, and manifests himself in certain ways. And when we misappropriate what the Holy Spirit does, we are not actually doing what the Holy Spirit has, has told us to do or empowered us to do. And in many ways, the Holy Spirit has been abandoned because we simply are misrepresenting what he does. And we misrepresent him when we don't obey him, when we don't do what he has called us to do. Now, when the Holy Spirit is suppressed because of disobedience, the natural thing for us to do then is to abandon the word of God. Because who, who is the one who illuminates the truths of Scripture? The Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit is quenched, when he is suppressed, the next thing we do is we start to abandon Scripture. After all, Scripture seems rather... Well, confining and old-fashioned. And it, it becomes something that now becomes in our way. And so we reinterpret it and we feel free to reinterpret it because we don't have the, we're not walking by the Spirit. So naturally, these things will feel good to us because the Holy Spirit is not illuminating those truths for us. So it should be no surprise that the third principle that he calls us to, to be discerning, has been thrown away. Because how can you be discerning if you don't know the Word of God because you haven't been filled with the Spirit? And so it should be no surprise that the church, by and large, has gone off the cliff because as they have misrepresented the Holy Spirit, they have abandoned the Word of God because now they have separated the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and now they are left to careen and make judgment and have no discernment at all. Because where, how do we discern if the Holy Spirit is, is no longer attached to the Word of God and He is giving revelation to everyone, or we're in disobedience and simply don't want to listen to it? How can we discern what's true and right? And we end up being left into a sea of relativism and what feels good rather than going to the truth of the Word of God. 
And so we could say this, that we are, we are sitting at a place where this word is probably more appropriate than it's ever been. Because we need to get back to being filled with the Spirit, receptive to the Word of God, and to be discerning about what is good and true. And when we do that, then we will be pleasing to God. Our lives will demonstrate holiness and Christ-likeness, and we will be pleasing to Him, and we will have a proper worship and a proper spiritual life. And so this morning, Paul will just give us those three principles. Be filled with the Spirit, be receptive to the Word, and be discerning. And when we do that, we will have a successful Christian life. We will live it out as God has intended us to. So Paul begins in verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, for the charismatic movement, this is a lightning rod verse that just absolutely proves that there are spiritual gifts. Do not quench the Spirit, especially when it's coupled with the next verse. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But so far in 1 Thessalonians, there actually has been no mention of spiritual gifts or supernatural gifts prophesying healing at all. In fact, Paul is, is in, in the midst of a list here and he simply bursts out, do not quench the spirit. In fact, he says, if we look at the language here, he says, stop. Stop quenching the Spirit. There's something that you guys are already doing. Stop it. In other words, you are quenching the Spirit and you need to stop. Now the word quench here literally is a word that is used for putting out a fire. For putting out a fire. We know that the Holy Spirit in Acts was was like tongues of fire. And so it's certainly this, the spirit here he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the human spirit or the spirit of the community, but the Holy Spirit himself. And he says, don't quench the spirit. In other words, don't snuff him out. Don't extinguish him. Now we know this. He cannot be referring actually to the Holy Spirit himself. Can you quench the Spirit in the fact that you can extinguish the Holy Spirit? No. God is eternal, right? God exists for all time. So what he's saying here is, don't suppress or stifle the Spirit. In other words, when you quench the Spirit, you are stifling the Spirit. You are, you are keeping Him from controlling you. When you were saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit. He came, he indwells you. And now, being filled with the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit, but what? Being controlled by the Spirit. And so Paul says, you need to live a life in a way that is what? Not quenching the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Don't quench him. Well, how, how do we quench the Spirit? How do, we, how do we keep him? How do we stifle him? We stifle the Holy Spirit when we live in disobedience and sin. In other words, when we, when we know the clear will of God, when we know what God has laid out for us, and we choose not to obey, we are what? Stifling the Spirit. We are keeping the Spirit, as it were, from controlling us. When we decide that we will do what we want rather than what God wants, when we decide that our ways are better than God's ways, when we, de- when we deliberately go to sin or where we, when we live in sin, we are what? Walking by the flesh. And those who walk by the flesh do not walk by the what? Spirit. And so when we live in sin, we are what? Quenching the spirit. And so when we refuse to do the things that we need to do, when we harbor sin in our life, when we have unspiritual attitudes, when we refuse to to submit to Scripture, when we see it clearly, we are what? Quenching the Spirit. In fact, we're told that the the manifestations of, of being filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit are the same. So we need to be obedient to the Word of God. And so when we do not live in obedience to the Holy Spirit, we are what? Quenching him. And so we are called to be those who are what? Filled with the Spirit. We are called to be those who walk in the Spirit. In other words, we are to be obedient to him. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And so we are called to be those who live in obedience and in the control of the Holy Spirit. And if we do not, we are what? Quenching the Holy Spirit. And so we need to make sure that we are not those who are living in disobedience, who refuse to do the things that we know that we should do and that we don't live in sin knowing that it's sin and continue in it. Now certainly, we would say this, anything that is a work of the Spirit, we need to what? Encourage. And anything that isn't, we need to discourage. So does Paul here have in mind supernatural gifts? Does he have the idea that this phrase would actually include that? It could, right? It could be, it could be that Paul is talking that in, in this general call, it would also include the supernatural gifts that were available in the first century. We... And so we would say that even as he moves on, it it is clear that there are some supernatural gifts being exercised in Thessalonica. And so, yes, that also would include those. 
Anytime there's a movement of God that we suppress, it is quenching the Spirit. And so Paul says if we're going to live spiritual lives that are victorious, we need to live what? Under the power of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to the Word of God, and we must not resist the Spirit, we must not grieve Him, but we must be controlled by Him, and then we will live a victorious Christian life. Now, we already saw in Thessalonica that they were they were, there was trouble within, there was sin within the church. There was already disputing, there was already troubles, and so we know that there was a necessity to be what? Controlled by the Spirit. That's why Paul talks about, for this is the will of God, you what, your sanctification, right? He warns them against sexual immorality, why? Because it was a problem. Possess your own vessel, not in lustful passion. Don't defraud your brother. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who what gives the, his Holy Spirit to you. Let us be those who do not quench the Spirit, who do not live in sin, but live in obedience to what we know. Now, Paul goes on, he says, not only are we to be what? To be those who are filled with the Spirit, but we must be receptive to the Word. We must be receptive to the Word. He says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, right now, you're thinking in your mind, what in earth does that have to do with the Word of God? Pastor, I think you got a point from another sermon stuck in here. But wait. Just wait, we'll get there. He says, do not despise prophetic utterances. And again, the language here is that they were despising prophetic utterances. They already were in that process. And he's saying, stop the activity that you already are doing. And he says, don't despise prophetic utterances. Now, the word despise here means to treat with contempt. An attitude of, of, of treating it with disgust. And he says, stop treating the word of God, as the, the prophetic utterances, as of no account. Don't treat them with contempt. Don't treat them as if they're not worth looking at. So the question becomes, what does he mean by prophetic utterances? What does he mean by do not despise or do not treat with contempt prophetic utterances? Well, Paul tells us that first of all, that the church was built on the foundation in Ephesians, that the church was built on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. So there were New Testament prophets in the early church who spoke from God authoritatively to the church. They gave, we would say, spirit-controlled, inerrant prophecy to the church. 
because the church was built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, we would say that we no longer have what? Prophets today. They were given for a time and for a place. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. We would understand that as the canon closed and the church matured, there was no longer a need for the prophetic word. There's no longer a need for prophecy because the canon was closed and everything that God needed to tell us was already written down in the word of God. Having said that, as we know, 1 Thessalonians was written in 51 AD. If Galatians was written in 50 AD, or some say 56, and James was written between 45 and 49 AD, this is the first, uh, this is really the second or third book written in the New Testament. So this is early in church life. And so we know that there was New Testament prophets who gave revelation under the, under the Holy Spirit to the church. In fact, we have rec records of that, Abacus, and several others who gave prophecies within the New Testament. And so we, we know this, that there are New Testament prophets, that they were giving revelation to the church, but that was a temporary gift that was given to the first century church until the word of God was given to us. Yet, at this time in church history, there were prophets that were actually exercising the gift of prophecy. And so we would, uh, we would understand then that what is taking place is that none of the word of God really has been written. It's doubtful that James has actually come to Thessalonica. And if it is, it would be the only book that would have traveled to Thessalonica at this time. And so there are men who are gifted in the first century who are giving prophetic utterance to the church. And Paul is saying to them, to the church itself, don't despise it. Don't despise it. Now, we're not told why they might despise it. Now, we can summarize and we want to be, we, we can, we want to be careful, but we already know that they had problems about eschatology. They already weren't sure about those who died. They weren't sure about the day of the Lord. And so it may be that some of them had made prophecies and predicted about the future and people were skeptical because some of them may have made false prophecies. But the idea here is, is that they were not to, to what? Despise the gift that was available for them now. And so they were not to despise those prophets who spoke by the Holy Spirit. So the question then becomes for us, do we just ignore this, voice, this verse then if it's all about first century gifting? Do we just say, well, that was for the Thessalonians, this one does not apply to us, move on. Well, I think there's a principle here that we can draw from this. Because ultimately, we have now 
the Word of God. We have the Word of God that is called the prophetic word. Right? First Peter 1.20, but... but no, 2 Peter 1.20, but know this, that first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke for him. In other words, we have the result of prophecy right here. In other words, nothing came here without revelation. Nothing came out with the, without the Holy Spirit moving men to write the Word of God. And so for us, if we want to hear prophetic utterances, we read what? The Word of God. The Word of God is that inerrant prophecy given to us that we are to go and to study and to know. Now, I differ, I differ with some of my brethren on this, but preaching is not prophecy. Preaching is simply declaring what has already been prophesied. In other words, prophecy was divine revelation spoken through the Holy Spirit, but now as we preach, what we preach, the Word of God. Now, I'm glad you're seated because what I'm about to tell you is going to shake you up. Your pastor is fallible. No. Yes. I'm sorry. I, maybe I should have brought that more gently, right? So when I preach, right, you need to go and what? Study the Word of God. In other words, I'm not infallible. Paul didn't think he was infallible. When he wrote Scripture, he was but he, he praised the Bereans. And so the question becomes for us, right, that we are to what? Hear the word of God. We are to sit under the word of God and we are to listen to the word of God and we are to accept the word of God. Now, I'm always amazed and I, I will, um, <laughs> that James has got to be one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture. He says in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, James 1, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And people say, This is good advice. Watch your temper. Listen, don't get angry, respond carefully. But in context, he's not speaking about you and your temper. He's not talking about you being careful how you speak in conversation. As he continues, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humility, what? Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In other words, this is a reaction to the word of God. He's saying, when you hear the word of God, here's what you need to do. Be quick to hear. Be anxious to hear. Be ready to hear. Be ready to listen. Slow to speak. In other words, 
Don't reply quickly. When you're hearing the Word of God being taught and when you're reading the Word of God, don't argue with it. Don't give your opinion about it. Listen to it. And there's a tendency for us that the more we know, the more that we want to give input. But it's more important what the Word says than what we have to say. And so when we are under the Word of God, we need to listen to it and be slow to give our opinion about it. Slow to start to argue about what's being said or what's being heard or what the Word is saying. And we can do that whether the Word of God is preached or whether you read it. You can start arguing in your mind. Well, it certainly couldn't mean that, right? There's no way I'm turning the cheek to that guy, right? Not a chance. And so we can start to argue, yeah, but. And he says, be slow to speak. And then he says, be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Don't start to get resentful. You read the Word of God and you hear some of the things that you don't want to hear and then you start to resent it. Well, I know God's sovereign in salvation, but I don't like it. Right? I know I've got to submit to, to my husband, but I don't like it. Right? And we resent God. He says, don't. Be slow to that. Listen to the Word of God. The Word of God is transformational. So the question to us then is, how do we respond to the Word of God? When we hear it taught, do we reject it? Are we those who, who don't like to hear the Word of God because it messes with the way that we live? Would we rather read books about the Bible than the Bible itself? How is our heart? Do we find ourselves hearing the word of God taught and arguing? Do we feel ourselves getting resentful because how could God demand that from us? And so we're called to be those who are what? Under the word, to be receptive to it, to hear it, to obey it. Not to be contemptuous of it. Not to treat it lightly but to receive it and to obey it and to recognize it for what it is the very words of God the God who knows all things who created you and knows what is right what is just and what is good and you must bow your knee to his word and what he says so Paul says be filled with the spirit Be receptive to the word. And the only way you're going to be receptive to the word is if you're what? Filled with the spirit. And being filled with the spirit, the spirit will therefore, according to 1 John, illuminate the word of God so that you might understand the word of God and you might know what it says. And being under the Holy Spirit will help you receive the word of God as it should be, joyfully, readily. And obediently. Well, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, be receptive to the Word. 
And then he says, be discerning. Be discerning. It's interesting because there can be a tendency, and we do two things. We either reject everything or we tend to accept everything. And Paul says, actually, and now calling you to be under the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, he says, and I want you to actually be discerning, though. I don't want you just to say, well, it's been said, so it is. That's, he said that's what it means, so I'll just swallow it all. And he says, no, actually, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, because you know the Word of God, you need to be what? Discerning as to what you hear and what you accept. He says, but examine everything carefully. Examine everything carefully. means to test, to examine. It involves uh, not only determining, uh, not only testing, but determining the genuineness or the value of an object. In other words, that which is tested is demonstrated to be genuine. Paul said, this was used of a lot a saying of precious metals, usually by fire, to prove whether they were authentic or whether they measured up to the stated worth. And he says, when you hear the word of God being taught, when you hear spiritual advice being given, he says what? Examine it to see that it's genuine. All right? You need to, you need to test it again with the expectation of approving, but the idea is you need to be doing this. This is your lifestyle. You're commanded to do it. It's not an isolated act. It's not a one-time event. Rather, it's a settled rule, the continuing practice of believers. Examine everything. Examine the word of God that is taught amongst you. Examine what you are told. Examine everything that comes that affects your spiritual life. Examine it. In every area of life. And so Paul says to us, listen, you need to be, you need to be in the habit of examining and testing. Now what he's not saying is, be in the habit of being critical, right? Don't be in the habit of being critical. Don't always come and try to find the holes in what you're being taught. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, you have to ha- that you're to have a critical spirit. But you are to test to see what, it, what, it, what you are being taught is true and right. In other words, you need to use to test what is said to you. You need to be able to pull error from truth. Now, how do we do that? How, How would we actually be able to do that? Well, first of all, we recognize that everything that is taught would have to align with what? The apostolic teaching. In other words, the word of God in the New Testament we know that you would have to line up again with the Old Testament. In other words, the Word of God works together. We recognize that anyone who's teaching something that's not Christologically orthodox, that we need to get rid of it. 
But you know by the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. In other words, as we listen to teaching, as we listen to those who expound the word of God, we look and we listen and we say, do they have a proper view of Jesus Christ? If they don't, they're a false teacher. If they don't line up with the New Testament and the Old Testament, what? They're not of God. And again, the the idea here is the spirit of every spirit. He's speaking of what? False teachers. And again, Satan comes as what? An angel of light. He is never, ever going to come to you with something that's so outrageously wrong that you just look at it and you run. Right? He doesn't doesn't come that way and scare you away. He comes to you as an angel of light and he brings enough truth to suck you in and then he twists it somewhere to deceive you. And so we must make sure that we are what? Vigilant. Continually as a lifestyle being discerning. As we look through the word of God, as we recognize their teaching. Another way that we can even look at those who bring us the word of God is simply to look at the integrity of the person. Paul, when he came to the Thessalonians, said, wasn't I, wasn't I, you saw how I was with you. You saw my integrity. You saw my life. Go back and remember who I was. And anyone coming, preaching with the word of God, and his life does not match the word of God, you need to say what? Don't listen. Don't listen. Now, I know some of you just shut off because I'm not perfect. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for direction. But we're talking about those who are in blatant sin, those who are overtly and outwardly demonstrating by their fruit that they are not God's. And we would have to say this, if their message is not beneficial to the church, if it doesn't lift up the body because our gifts were given to us for the building up of the body, then that shouldn't be listened to either. If someone is teaching and it is all about them and it's about their ministry and how their getting along and how it benefits them and it benefits the few but not the body of Christ you know their faults 1 Corinthians 12 7 but each one of us was given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good now Paul gives us instruction to examine and he says this is what you are to do this is what to be your lifestyle But Paul is not interested here just in a intellectual exercise where we sit back and we assess everything and put it through our minds and then that's it. Remember, Paul is adding to what is lacking in their faith and he wants them to, what, practice what they know. And so Paul now 
really gives us that idea. He says, hold fast to that which is good and what? Abstain from that which is evil. In other words, I'm not telling you to examine this stuff just so that you can have intellectual assent to some ideas, but so that you learn to practice them in your life. He says, hold positively, hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is morally good, that which is morally right. He says, I want you, what that was inherently genuine and true and noble. He says, I want you to hold to what you know is good and right. Now that's interesting because he's calling us to keep on holding, to, to, to grab and to keep. Now, why would he need to do that? That seems kind of intuitive, doesn't it? If you're examining the word of God and you're trying to figure out what's right, why would he have to tell you to hold fast, to to, to hang on? Wouldn't you just naturally do that? No, you don't. We don't. It is so easy for us to discover the truth. It's very easy for us to understand the truth and then in time to forget the truth and to set the truth aside. And we were talking this morning how the church compromises and sometimes the church starts with the truth, but they forget the truth. And how easy it is because we haven't been in the word or we haven't been taught on a particular subject to be influenced by the world, to be influenced by culture. And then we start to erode what we once knew to be true. And so Paul says, when you get the truth, hang on to it, grasp it with both arms and don't let it go. Because there's a tendency for us to what? discover the truth, and then walk away from the truth. Oh, that's, I, that's neat. Look what I found. And then we walk away. And Paul says, drag it with you. Keep it with you. Make it part of your life. You can't just discover the truth. You need to what? Hang on to it. In other words, you're responsible for that truth. Live out that truth. So Paul says, listen, once you discover that truth, once you've examined, hold fast, don't let go. And then he says this as he closes, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain. In other words, the idea here is, is to keep away from, avoid, avoid any contact. He says, when it comes to evil, when it comes to that what is morally wrong, he says, stay away from it like the plague. Here's the proper place for social distancing. Get away from it. Get away from evil. Every form of it. Now, that's interesting because there's, there's, two idea, there's two ideas here. 
Some have seen it as every appearance of evil, and that's certainly what the King James says. Stay away from every appearance of evil. Now, that's a horribly bad translation. Because what it has led to is a whole theology and a whole lifestyle of people who say, I can never do anything that somebody else thinks is evil. So the idea is I stay away from the appearance of evil. So if anybody in the world thinks what I'm doing is evil, I better not do it because after all, I don't want to cause the name of Christ trouble. And so to be obedient to this, I'm just simply not going to do it. So you think it's wrong, I won't do it. But that's not what Paul is saying here. The word here has the idea of form, or we could call it every kind of evil. Stay away from every kind of evil. He's talking about staying away from anything that's evil. He's not saying staying away from everything that appears to be evil. Because quite frankly, then you're living your life on the consciousness of others. You live by their conscience. You live by unbelievers' conscience because they don't think you should do it, so you shouldn't do it. And in fact, there are going to be times where you are going to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to do exactly what he calls you to do. And people will look at you and say, that's evil. We don't have to go far to see that today. And so Paul says, stay away from every kind of evil. Everything that doesn't pass the test, everything that causes you to sin, everything that pollutes you, he says, stay away from that. Don't go near it. Every teaching that's wrong, every kind of sin, every kind of influence in your life, he says, stay away from it. And Paul, Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to go near evil. And that means I don't want you to go near what? False teaching. I don't want you to go near false teachers. I don't want you to be listening to them. He doesn't say for you to be going and listening to teachers and then spit out what, you know, take, what, take the meat, spit out the bones. He doesn't say that. He says avoid that. False teaching spreads like gangrene. You may be able to save it. You may lose a limb or you may lose your life. And we're talking spiritually here. You need to be careful. So Paul says, avoid it. There's no, nothing in Christianity that says get as close as you can. Don't be like the world as much as you can without becoming the world. It doesn't say that. Don't be succumbed to the deceptive, numbing, dumbing down intoxications of this feudal world, as one writer says. So Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. In other words, be discerning people. Put on your hat. How are you discerning? Well, we start with what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit? filled with the word that is our measuring stick and then we 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 adjust and so paul is really saying here be a berean be a berean and a berean remember is someone who goes where 
listens to the teaching of the word and then goes what? To the word and studies what? The word. And so we're called to be those who what? Listen to the word, receive the word, filled with the Holy Spirit and discern what we're taught through the word of God. And if we do that, then we each individual, if we do that individually, we will grow spiritually, we will have a full spiritual life. And if we do it individually and we come together collectively, then we will have a holy church that is living for God the way that it should be. Remember, discernment is called for. It's not divisive. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. There is right and there is wrong. There is light and there is dark. We must, must be discerning. We must be discerning as we measure all things through the word of God illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Let us be a church that does that. Let us be the, wor- the church that continually is vigilant as we go to the, as we are submitted to the Holy Spirit, reading the word of God and being discerning. And when we do that, we will live a full, abundant Christian life because we will be living in the power of the Holy Spirit by the truth of the word of God. And we will be those who will hear from our Savior Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you that you have given it to us, and I pray that you would help us to be those who would be willing to be obedient to it. And so I pray even as Paul has instructed us through the Holy Spirit to be those who are filled with the Spirit, receptive to the Word and discerning, that we would be willing to take up these commands and to be obedient to them. Make us a church, make us individuals who are obedient to your Word, that we might live in a way that's pleasing to you, that we might have a a sound and full spiritual life because we have been obedient to do what you have commanded us to do in your word. Build your church here at Bowmanville, I pray in your name. Amen.